Hey, everybody. We want to thank you all who have supported the show. And anybody who is interested in supporting the show can check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash xchateau, or you can find the link on xchateau.com. We have over 100 episodes, and by becoming a patron, you can get access to 100-plus episodes. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today we're going to be talking about leveraging wine storage as a foundation for other services. And our guest is Elton Potts, founder and managing partner at Vine Vault. Elton, welcome to the show. Good morning, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. Could you please give me and Peter a brief overview of your background and how you got into wine? I'll be happy to. So prior to launching Vine Vault, I had a 27-year corporate career, background in finance and operations, and worked in those areas. I ran a supply chain for a company that moved thousands of trucks a day at one point. And then the culmination of my corporate career was I, I ran a global storage and logistics business with 50,000 customers and 5,200 team members across 300 facilities in 23 countries on five continents. So pretty good scale. Okay. Decided that I would like to go do my own thing as opposed to staying in the corporate world. And so the business came about because I had problems as a wine collector and I went to find solutions for my problems. And we'll talk more about that. But, you know, I started collecting wine when I was in my 30s. And the reason I really got into wine, I I enjoyed wine, I enjoyed beer and other things. But I was working out with a fitness trainer one day. And just in conversation, while I'm trying to get some oxygen back in my system from the workout that she'd been putting me through, I mentioned I was going to go out with some buddies that evening and have a few beers. And she says, well, why are you working with me? And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, the beer really doesn't help complement what we're doing here. Okay. Especially if you're going to have a few, that's different than one. Okay. And I said, okay, fine. Well, I'm probably going to have something. What should I drink? And she said, red wine. So I said, okay, all right. If that makes for a healthier lifestyle and I enjoy red wine, I'll start to pursue that avenue. Okay. Which led to, hey, I like this. And You know, at the time, buying $5 bottles and sweating over my first $10 bottle that I purchased because it was so expensive, and then the $20 bottle, and then it just got out of hand. But it led to to me collecting wine as well, and the whole concept of putting it down because it'll be better later. And so that led to me becoming a wine collector. Over time, as tends to happen with collectors, my collection outgrew my space, okay? And like most collectors, you start with a few bottles tucked in the closet, and then it goes to a small rack, and then it's a wine refrigerator, and then it's a bigger wine refrigerator. And finally, had the chance to build my own home wine cellar. Was very proud of it. Walked into it and said, I'll never fill this thing up. And a few years later, not that many years, I'm going, what do I do now? And so I went to the only wine storage facility in that city that I was was in. And remember, from a corporate standpoint, I was an outsourcer, okay? I did storage and logistics for others and did it better than they could do it themselves. And that's why they used an outsourcer. So I go to this third-party wine storage location, and I was horrified. It wasn't better than what I could do in terms of temperature control or security or just cleanliness or any of those sorts of things. And so I said, 
there has to be a better way. And that got us into, okay, maybe there's a business here. And so we listed, here are our frustrations as a wine collector. How might we solve these? And it wasn't just wine storage, but it was the delivery of wine as well. So we would go to a wine region, do our homework in advance. We would get appointments at all the right wineries, all the highly collectible, the cults, the amazing wines that have been highly rated. We get into those places. And when we did, they would give us the tour because we didn't want to just belly up to the bar and have a tasting. We wanted the full experience, right? Because we're collectors and we appreciate a great wine. And then after we would make a purchase, a few weeks later or a few months or a year or two later, some sweaty guy would show up at our home or business with this box that's got black marks on the side of it. It's hot on the outside to the touch and hopefully drops it with one of us, might leave it on the front porch. And then we're supposed to put that in the wine cellar and hope that in 10 years when I open that very special bottle with great friends and I make a big to-do about how awesome that wine is and the time we went to the winery and sat down with the winemaker or estate owner, and then the bottle's cooked. That was a frustration and we didn't like that. And so it was, there has to be a better way. And out of those things, Vine Vault was born. So when did Vine Vault get founded? And can you give us a sense? I know it's primarily a wine storage business, but also a delivery business. Can you give a sense of the scale of the business? Like I know you have multiple locations and all this sort of thing. Sure. So we started researching the concept in 2014 and spent quite a bit of time trying to understand just how big the market was because there's not was not a lot of data available. And then we opened our doors in our first two facilities in the fourth quarter of 2015. And we've been, we've been uh, very blessed since then. We've seen, we've averaged over 70% growth year on year the whole way through, which that's not much in the first year when you're starting at zero. But over time, as that number grows, that growth level grows as well. And actually in, uh, in 21, we, the business more than doubled. So, Today, we have facilities, wine storage facilities in six different markets across the U.S. We have, in some cases, more than one facility per market. We have over 50 team members across Vine Vault, including about a dozen sommeliers that are on staff. And over 75% of the wine that we store today is actually stored in our full-service storage program. But we'll get, I'm sure, more into that as, as we go. And so when you say growth, you're talking about the number of customers or your 50 or 70%? That growth is, is based on revenue. Oh, revenue. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. So, and you mentioned that, so obviously wine storage is the, the kind of core and you have these services that are on uh, surrounding that. I was wondering if you could give us an overview of what kind of services, obviously you touched upon delivery already. I'm just curious if you could let us know what the other services that you provide for your members. Sure. So we, we did open our doors first as wine storage, but based upon the consumer problems we wanted to solve, we knew it was going to be more than just storage. So we tried to set up our facilities in a way that they could support the other parts of the business. So we look at it as we founded the business to enhance the enjoyment of wine and wine collecting, all right? not just to be a storage company. And so we approach storage differently than many do. So it was all about trying to solve the problems that a wine lover or wine collector would encounter so they can spend more of their time enjoying great wine, 
and wine experiences and great time with family and friends. So everything that we developed was based upon helping them to spend the time on the fun parts of wine, not on lifting 40 pound boxes and things like that. Okay. Or where is my bottle of 1997, whatever, right? So the other areas that we have, we do fully refrigerated door-to-door white glove delivery service, essentially for high-end wineries, but we'll do it for some consumers as well. So if you order wine from a high-end winery in places like Napa and Sonoma, for instance, some of those wineries will use us to deliver the wine to you because it cuts out a lot of the risk that and bad experience that happen in the wine shipping area. We also then, as an extension of that, provide fulfillment services to high-end wineries. So we'll pick and pack orders and do other things like that for them, including, you know, some hand labeling, wax dipping, all those types of projects that they need to be have done from time to time. We will also help people who are moving sellers or moving homes, or if they have four homes, we'll help them move part or all of their wine collection from a home to another home, essentially anywhere in the country. And because of the scale we have and the location of our facilities, most of that work we do in-house. And so we can, and we'll talk more about it, but we'll literally go in and pack up your collection and then move it across the country, fully refrigerated, deliver it to you in your new home when you're ready. On top of that, we provide some unique wine events. We do these at some of our facilities where we bring in, sometimes we bring in great wineries. Sometimes we will focus on a region or a particular vintage. And those are meant to be fun, educational, and a great chance for wineries and others to connect with people who love that product and want to learn more. We also do some fun wine events that are traveling roadshows, if you will. And that takes a group of wineries and is, it's a ton of fun and it's, just, it's great for the consumer and for the winery. And then finally, as I mentioned before, we have, we have about a dozen sommeliers. So we provide quite a few sommelier services for clients when they need those things as well. Cool. So going back to the basics of wine storage, what are the, you know, having expertise and storing things and outsourcing globally, how is wine different and what are the basic fundamentals of wine storage as a business? So I think wine is different because climate matters. Okay. And if you think about probably the the best known business in that area is self-storage. Most of the time it is not climate controlled. And if it is climate controlled, it's controlled to 80 degrees, if you will. So for wine, it's much more about the total environment that it's in. And when we talk to people and and advise them on, okay, if they're considering using a third-party storage provider like ourselves or others, we hit a few key points. One, as I mentioned before, an outsourcer, someone like us, should be able to do a better job than you can do yourself for a reasonable fee. They clearly should have cold air. It should be in the right relevant range. And it shouldn't move around too much. Now, when I say too much, you think about the caves and, and that sort of thing, and they will see some minor swing, but not tremendous swing in temperature, okay? You want temperature change to be gradual, not sudden, right? Humidity control, because too dry, your corks will dry out, and you're going to lose your bottles, and too humid, you'd run the risk of mold, which is no fun either. We've dealt with people who've been in that situation, and it's, it's sad, if you will. The wine storage place should have adequate security, and people will offer different levels of security. And the things that I look for is, do I feel safe coming here? Would my wife feel safe coming here? 
I look at it and say, okay, how easy or how hard is it to get in? Because this isn't about me getting in. It's who else has access to where my wine is being stored. I look at it from a from an access standpoint in terms of when may I access my wine? Is it just a day or two a week for a few hours? Is it 24 hours a day? Because there's negatives with both of those. Okay. You know, you want to have decent access, but probably if some folks show up at two in the morning after having a great dinner, it probably isn't best that they have more wine at that point, especially not in the facility where my wine is stored. Okay. So I want to think about, well, I appreciate them. Sometimes we've had an extra glass, our judgment's a little different. And I think that we know of a place that you have to book an appointment days in advance. You have a 20-minute window to come in and pick up your product. Well, unfortunately, traffic can play a part in that. I may not know in advance exactly what I want. You know, it's just access is harder in that situation. Works for some people, may not work for everyone. You want to make sure that the wine storage facility is, is clean. And when I say clean, is it dirty? Are there smells, strong chemical smells or anything like that that can impact the wine over time? Are you worried at all about things like rodents that might tear into boxes, create damage that way, et cetera? Ease of access when you go to that location. How am I going to take that box of wine, that 40-pound box, from my vehicle into my locker? Are there ramps and carts? Do I have to carry it upstairs? If I'm doing a self-storage locker, is it at my feet? So I'm on my hands and knees putting the wine in there. Is it above my head? I've been into one facility where they have nice big library ladders so that someone 60, 70 years old can carry a 40-pound box on their shoulder up to eight or nine feet to put it in their locker. Well, that doesn't work for everyone. So you need to make sure that that solution works for you. You'd want to make sure that there's not substantial vibration. You want to think about is the facility staffed or not? And then I would tell you to think about your lifestyle and what your needs are. Do you need them to receive shipments for you? Do you need them upon receipt of something to simply put it in your, in your locker? Do you not want them to go into your locker? Should they inspect the box when it comes in and let you know of any issues? Should they do an inventory? We've had issues where boxes came in so hot that we immediately unpacked the box and put the bottles right on the concrete floor in the wine storage area to cool them down as quickly as we could. We notify the client to say, this is what happened, this is what we did, and they have the option of reaching back out to that winery or whoever they bought it from to say, hey, I'm concerned or it's okay. We've had other issues where two boxes came in of the same item. It was a customer we were doing, that we were inventorying their items as they came in. One box had a dozen bottles, the other box had 11. So we immediately identified, you've got a shortage. And if I go back to my own wine collecting, I might not have opened that box for two years. After two years, it's hard to make that claim. You should think about, are you prepared to do the heavy lifting yourself? Full case of wine, 40 plus pounds. One's not bad. If you have 50 boxes, it gets a little heavy. Do you have the right vehicle to transport the wine in? We had a gentleman show up in his 750 IL BMW with 17 cases of wine in shippers in it. I was very impressed he got 17 cases in there. But if you get to 25 cases, you've got 1,000 pounds of wine in your vehicle. And does your automobile insurance cover that as the other part of it? And then finally, when you decide that you're going to go off-site, the boxes that you use matter because the bigger the boxes, the less you can get into a locker if you're going to 
do it yourself. But the boxes you use also need to be sturdy because you're probably going to stack boxes on top of them. So those are all the factors I would consider when thinking about, do I go to use a wine storage provider? And if so, what's important to me? Wow, that's uh, pretty comprehensive. Thank you for that. So you mentioned, you know, when you want to store wine outside and, and do all that, that, you know, for a reasonable fee, it should be that as a consumer, what should I expect for that reasonable fee to be? And how does that differ from like the self-storage locker versus the full service, which maybe you can elaborate. I think some of those things were full service, right? The inventory and, and carrying it and all that sort of thing. So look, pricing is going to vary by company. It's going to vary as well by location, what part of the country, what part of town it's in. Okay. All those things go into play when it comes to price. Obviously, level of service and the size of your collection play a part in the pricing as well. So you can, with us, if you get self-storage lockers, you're probably going to pay 3 to $4 per box per month, assuming the locker is full. There are places out there that are cheaper. And so it all comes back to what are your needs? You know, and for us, our facilities are fully staffed. There's no one on site to receive boxes for you which they're also there to make sure that things don't go awry and protection and that sort of thing. Our concierge storage, which is our full service version where we do things like we'll come to your home and pick it up. We'll inventory your wine. We put it away. We know exactly where each bottle is. And you can ask us to pull a bottle and even bring it to a restaurant or your home for you. That's going to run depending upon, again, upon city size of collection, et cetera, four fifty to $8 per box per month. So there is a bit of a range, but it's also tied to, real estate prices in different parts of the country. I am curious on how important is scale for the storage business? Obviously, your previous background was also doing storage. How important is it and how does it differ from your existing experience in the wine industry? Like how many locations or how many other services do you have to provide in order to make this like a super viable business? Well, I'm going to tell you that if you're only doing wine storage, scale is not that important. If you think about the wine storage industry, it started with a lot of people who wanted what I'm going to call a lifestyle business, and they have one facility where they are. And so that one facility is, is what they do. Typically, they don't provide a lot of service because they're not looking to spend that many hours with it. And so those businesses can be very successful. So if you want to have, if you want to have your own wine storage place and you want to just have one in your neighborhood or in your part of town, absolutely. Scale is not important. For us, Having scale supports our logistics business, our events business, our seller relocation business. So having that scale provides us with uh, refrigerator warehouses from which we can do things like deliver wine to consumers, pack up and move sellers, execute events well, etc. So that's one synergy isn't having that scale allows you to kind of take a kind of a cross country look at the business. What about in terms of services? How does that benefit having, I'm assuming those services scale a lot better than actual storage itself. The services do scale quite a bit better. So if you think about when we do refrigerated delivery from a winery, let's say you order a six pack from a great winery in Napa or Sonoma, and we're going to deliver it to your home, whether that's in you know New York or Florida or Texas or California and several of the states in between. For us having our locations, we're able from our Napa facility, prepare a lot of boxes headed in that direction, move them via refrigerated truck, receive it into our our wine storage facility in Atlanta or Miami or 
Austin, Texas, et cetera. And then we, we separate them, we organize them, and then they get delivered out to clients. If we tried to do all that without that forward hub, if you will, it gets pretty complicated. It can be done, but it definitely makes the business more cost-effective, higher level of service if you can do that planning later in the process. Okay, so the Napa Center is more of a logistics center because it's where a lot of the starting destination for a lot of the wines that are getting delivered out to the other locations. Well, our Napa Center is a bit unique. Yes, we do storage for individuals there, but a lot of our space in Napa is tied up with storage for high-end wineries and doing fulfillment for them, pick and pack of orders, special projects, et cetera. So yes, on a per square foot basis, that facility is much more tied to supporting wineries than just storage for a, a wine collector. And so right now, Vine Vault has six locations. Are you expecting to grow that? And if so, what markets are you looking at? So we are in six markets today. Those are Napa, Los Angeles, Austin, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, Miami, Florida, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We will continue to grow. We think that there is great growth opportunities in this business. And for us, it's going to be tied to what are the biggest wine buying states and markets across the country, because we want to go where the customers are. Outside of people moving from one location across country to another, does anybody use more than one of your locations for wine storage? You know, we have a few people that do. Let's say that you've got a, a place in Florida, you know, you like going to the beach or whatever, and then your normal home is somewhere northeast or whatever. So it makes sense to have some wine in two locations. It may, may make sense to, to stage some wine with us in Napa and send it across as a group more together than just one box at a time. So you mentioned that that shipping and logistics part is a big part of your business. And you do that, I believe, both for the wine storage customers and for wineries, right? Those are two separate things. Yes, we actually also do it for people who don't store wine with us, but just appreciate that we can pick up from the 20 wineries that they're on the allocation list at. We'll pick up all their orders from everyone, and we can either deliver to them one box at a time as it becomes available, or what many people prefer is collect it all, keep it in your refrigerated warehouse, bring all of it to us at one time. So instead of having to be home 20 different times, we make it more convenient. We come once, you get all the wine at one time. Our customers are not without a bottle of wine to drink. They rarely go thirsty for long. So they tend to have wine at home and they're not waiting on that next shipment to simply have a bottle of wine in the house. Most of our customers are people that already have some bottles in the home. They may have thousands of bottles in the home. It varies by customer. And so they want to make sure their wine is handled properly, more so than just it gets here fast. So how does that work when you pick up from all the different locations and, and store it like as a consumer and maybe as a consumer who's interested in this? Like how, do I, how but I don't need necessarily a storage facility yet, maybe soon. But like, how would that work for me? So what we do is you sign a very simple agreement with us and we keep your credit card on file. And you simply, let's say you place an order with a winery, they're going to send you an order confirmation. You simply email that order confirmation to us. We then take care of everything else. We reach out to the winery, our logistics team in, in Napa reaches out to the winery. And look, they'll say things like, yes, the order is ready to go or pick it up at my fulfillment house, pick it up at the winery. 
they may say it's not going to be ready for two months. And so then we'll, we will schedule the, the pickup and we'll go pick it up. We'll pick up from five, 10, 20 wineries, whatever you need. And all those will go with our other packages that are going to go refrigerated truck to a hub somewhere else in the country or delivered to you in San Francisco, whatever works for you. And then it'll get delivered to you. But do you have to have a relationship with the winery so that when I buy the wine, I say pick up through Vine Vault or do I say pick up at winery and then just send it to you and you go and pick it up? Usually it's called will call. So some wineries will actually list us, but others will just simply have a will call option. And in that case, let's say that you're not a California resident, but you're buying at a California winery. You're going to pay California sales tax because you're taking possession in California. Whereas if the winery chose us to ship it to you in Atlanta, Georgia, the winery will collect Georgia sales tax and pay the state of Georgia. It's all about where you take possession of the product. Right. And then, so then I don't pay for the UPS or FedEx shipment that comes out, but then presumably I have to pay you something. How, how does that work? We would like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so when we do the simple, I think it's a three-page agreement. It's pretty simple. When we do that agreement with you, the prices are listed. So you know up front what the cost is for us to go pick it up. So there's a pickup cost and then there's a delivery cost later? There's one cost covers everything. Oh, okay. Okay. So in most cases, I'm assuming that if we pick it up and you want it soon, we're just going to go ahead and ship it. If you want us to pick it up, store it for you in, in our Napa facility for a while and then deliver it, there'll be two separate fees for that. Yes. Most people just go ahead and send it to me. So this sounds like it could be a cost savings compared to FedEx or UPS or sending it all separately. I'm just thinking like how I think about as a consumer, the value proposition of of doing this. Certainly there could be a convenience thing or or storage. So there's a few and, and let's talk about it both consumer and winery kind of at the same time. So for the consumer, the first thing is we schedule a delivery window with you. So we tell you, we actually reach out to you. Peter, we'd like to deliver your wine on Tuesday between 10 and one. Does that work for you? That's not the same thing as we just show up. So you know when to expect us. Our driver can text you 30 minutes in advance, say, hey, I'll be there in about 30 minutes. For you, you have the comfort of knowing that your wine has been kept refrigerated the entire time. You also are not going to be inundated with styrofoam. So I actually walked into a gentleman's house one day. He'd received 40 boxes via common carrier that week, and they were all in styrofoam. And his trash can could hold two styrofoam 12-packs in the can. So he had 20 weeks worth of trash can full, let alone whatever trash they generated in the home. So the consumer gets scheduled delivery, the comfort of knowing it was done right, the comfort of you're probably not going to have a problem with things like breakage, damage, et cetera, the wine won't get cooked, and you're not going to have a ton of trash coming out of the process. Those are all benefits that the consumer has. And frankly, the most important to me is that confidence that when you lay it down and you open it with friends and family down the road, you know it's a great bottle. You know that it's as pristine as when it left the winemaker. Now, take that from the winery side. For the winery, they do have a percentage of shipments that get cooked, cooked as in the wine gets too hot and it has to be returned and replaced. Some shipments get broken. Some people, even though they say, I want my wine shipped this week, they're not home. They may have determined that's when they wanted it four weeks ago, but their plans changed. 
right? Hey, let's go to the beach or, oh, let's go with our friends to Italy. And so suddenly the common carrier shows up three days in a row. They're doing their job and they show up, but no one's home. That box now goes and sits in a warehouse, by the way, that's not climate controlled, okay, and can be very hot and in the wintertime can be quite cold, but typically very hot's the bigger issue. And it's going to sit there until they get around to dealing with a return. Returns are not the most fun thing that a shipping company deals with. So in this scenario, the winery has paid the carrier to ship it to you. Now they're going to pay the carrier to bring it back to them. Then they're going to ship it to you again. They're probably going to pay for a higher level of service because you can get your wine when you wanted it and you're upset, especially if it was damaged or cooked or whatever. And so they've got wine that's suspect, a customer that's not happy, and they've paid triple the shipping cost. But the more important thing to the winery than all of that, the more important thing is they truly want you, when you open that bottle, to have an amazing experience. And they want to be able to control that experience as best they can. So let's say that the three of us go and we book a tasting at a great winery and a tour, and they're going to take us to the vineyards and talk about the slope and the sunshine and the valley floor and the gravel. They're going to talk about the clone that they have planted. They're going to talk about the great vineyard management company. They're going to talk about the winemaker who chooses to only pick at this bricks level and only at this time of night to make it as great as possible, as gentle as possible for the fruit. They're going to talk about the crush and how soft that's going to be so that it doesn't bust into seeds and tannins and that sort of thing. They're going to walk you through barrel selection and the whole vinification process, even the quality of the corks they use. They're going to tell you how biodynamic they are and how all the steps they take to be great for the environment. And you're going to taste that wine, and it's incredible. Then they're going to pack it in styrofoam, hand it off to somebody who's going to throw it in a truck with auto parts and paper, office paper, whatever, ship it across the country, it's going to go through a few sortation facilities, get banged around a bit, and in a hot truck, someone's going to bring it to you and hopefully give it to you as opposed to leaving it on the front doorstep. And suddenly they've lost control of the process. They've lost control of the quality of the wine. So that winery wants you to have a great experience and they want to do things that are good for the environment. Well, and having worked at uh, or worked with both at and with a lot of these different wineries, when the wine gets returned, we often don't sell that again. That becomes a sample wine because of the risk of it being cooked or other things. So that becomes stranded kind of inventory. So the winery actually is sending you two bottles of wine in those situations, which is can be quite expensive. And we work with wineries that are highly allocated. We literally work with wineries that if a bottle breaks, there's not a bottle to replace it. All right. They're that sought after. So suddenly if a bottle gets damaged, cooked or whatever, they have to refund people their money. And the customer's not happy because they really wanted the wine. And the winery's not happy either. So it's a different experience than what people have grown accustomed to. So when you're shipping to customers from a winery or from your storage facility, how do you compete with the likes of FedEx or UPS? Well, they certainly have several advantages over us when it comes to scale and, and things like that. And, and their system is amazing at, at moving a ton of different products across the country. Their system, though, is based upon everything going through the same process. And their vehicles are not refrigerated, so you have variations in temperature. For us, we are fully refrigerated, white glove service, door-to-door. So we keep your wine in the right temperature range from the time that we pick it up 
until we deliver it to you. There is no rough handling, very, very minimal breakage. We schedule a delivery window with you so you know when to expect us. And when we arrive, we actually will, if you want us to, we'll carry the boxes to your cellar or place them inside the home as opposed to just leaving them on the front step. We also, as a part of that, we achieve over 95% first delivery attempt success so that we know that people are going to get their wine when it's scheduled. But should there be a failure, if the customer forgot and they're not home, the wine spends the rest of the day in a refrigerated truck, not in a vehicle that's 100 plus degrees in the back of it riding around. The other nice thing is that we, through our process, eliminate the need for styrofoam and other products that are designed to insulate against temperature variation because we don't have the temperature variation. So all those things together lead to a very different experience than what's traditionally been available. So you mentioned that you know the price was set up front. In this current age of high inflation and issues with oil and labor and all this sort of stuff, how does that change the economics of the, the wine delivery business? It's not been a fun time, okay? And I promise you that price increases don't keep up with cost increases right now, all right? And look, we, we hate doing price increases. We don't like having to do that. Sometimes it becomes necessary. We've set our prices at the beginning of this year. We do have a little fuel surcharge kicker, okay, that's gone up and luckily back down some this year. But we've not gone back out with additional price increases. Maybe we should have. And I know that some of the common carriers have. The impacts to us and frankly to other shippers as well, yes, you've got fuel that's an issue. Labor shortage has been an issue. We take a different approach. We luckily have not had a labor shortage problem. We don't have that much turnover. You know, one of the biggest issues we have is when a vehicle needs maintenance, needs a repair, replace a hose. We've spent three months looking for a hose to go in a vehicle. So that vehicle's out of service for three months for a $45 hose. You know, we've had times when we've had several vehicles down at the same time just because they need a basic part, a door latch. We lost four months waiting for a door latch. But door latches are important. They really are. You mentioned earlier that you created your own like shipping boxes, I believe, and I think you have like, both cardboard and a wood box. What's the strategic rationale for that? Sure. So those boxes were first developed for the wine storage side of the business. And most of what we do is in cardboard. Some people love the traditional wood. I mean, wood wine storage boxes have been around for centuries, all right? So very effective. They're fantastic. But most of what we do is cardboard. And we've been through an iteration in our design. We made, a, made several thousand, worked with them, saw what, what worked, what didn't work, what could be better. We really went back and, and invested quite a bit more in our box. So our boxes are first designed for storage. They're very sturdy. They're, they're double wall. They can be stacked. They're designed so the bottles lay flat in the, bottle, in the box. The bottles don't touch each other. There's, so there's not a chance of breakage from that standpoint. So laying it flat keeps the cork wet. Not letting them touch each other eliminates breakage. Having a sturdy box that you can stack cuts down the chance for a box to crush or something like that. So we started with storage. And then we found that in our shipping business, because since every vehicle is refrigerated and every warehouse is refrigerated, we don't need styrofoam or anything like that to insulate the wine. Well, those boxes work great for that process as well. And the awesome thing is they are 40 to 60% 
recycled material, and then they are fully recyclable. So our shipping material is cardboard and tape. So there's no other thing that needs to go into a landfill. And look, Styrofoam is an amazing product for what it does. The problem is it hangs around for a long time once you put it in the landfill. But with our product, once the consumer has taken the wine out of the box, they know what to do with it. You cut the tape, you put it in the recycle bin, it's gone. The funny part is, in a lot of cases, they actually save our boxes because they're so sturdy and they're great for storing wine. So that's why we have our own boxes. And look, the other part of it is our boxes are white. They're not craft brown. Because of that, you know, we do that so it's a better presentation, but we also know they're not going to get all dirty and marked up and things like that. So it's a sign of confidence in our process as well. Interesting. You mentioned earlier that VineVault has also started doing traveling roadshow for wineries to connect with consumers. How did this get started? So we were early on, we were, we were working with a winery doing some shipping for them. And they said, hey, we've partnered up with five other wineries. We're going to do a week of a traveling road show. And when we get to, in this case, when you get to Atlanta, we want you to help us. Sure. Happy to do so. What I didn't realize was that means I sit in on all the committee calls and help them plan out their trip. And the downside to doing this via committee is decision-making gets harder. But they turn to the third winery and say, oh, by the way, when we go to Dallas, your job, Winery X, you find a venue, you take care of all alcohol permitting, you find a caterer, find glassware, and take care of all setup, registration, et cetera, for Dallas. And the person at that winery goes, well, I've been to Dallas twice in my life, and it's a nice town, but I don't know the city. So after going through this process with them, we said we can do this better than they can. So that led to the idea of let's handle the logistics, the organization, the execution for them. And let them focus on what they're great at, which is talking to consumers who love fine wine, pouring a taste for them, hopefully getting them to come visit the winery on a trip to wine country, maybe joining their mailing list, maybe selling some wine at the event. So then that started the concept. But on top of it, then when we said, okay, we're going to deliver wine and we're going to choose two of the largest companies in the world to be our competitors. Because the two main common carrier providers, they're big and they do an amazing job considering what they do. Wine's just not the best product to ship via that process, right? So I'm sitting down with wineries going, yes, we're going to deliver wine and we want you to sign up. And they look at me a little funny and go, well, you're not proven. Why should we do this? And my answer was, well, does your current provider help you sell wine? And they laughed. No, they hurt my sales. Well, we're going to help you sell wine. One, we're not going to break it, damage it, et cetera. We're going to make your customers thrilled. And on top of that, what we're going to do is we're going to give you opportunities to meet great customers who want to try your product. And that's how the whole piece of the business got started. So given all your various business functions, storage and pack and ship, delivery, winery marketing, how does your business break down between those different business lines? Is there, is there one that's like the, the bellwether, the kind of blue chip business function and another that is like in the high growth phase that you're in, that you think is going to grow your business for the future? Well, luckily all segments of our business are growing and growing nicely, which is, which is great. They do grow at different rates. Our delivery of wine orders to consumers is about 40% of our business. Our storage runs about 30%. Our wine cellar packups and moves runs about 20%. 
And then the events we do run about 10% of our business. So it breaks down pretty nicely that way. And we see, we see great growth for all of them. I think that the biggest opportunity for us long-term is delivering wine to consumers. And is that more on the winery side or more on the consumer side? Mostly on the winery side, because it moves the needle when a, when a winery says, ship these thousands of boxes for us versus Peter saying, go pick up these 20. Okay. But we get enough people like Peter, then, you know, then we're there as well. They get treated the same way, Peter. So your wine is safe, right? So it's the wineries probably drive that more than anybody else. Given the amount of wine you store and deliver, you maybe collect a decent amount of data that could be transformed to have interesting insights or inform trends in the fine wine space. Are you seeing any interesting trends that people might not be talking about? So the data that we have tied to deliveries for wineries is their data, not our data. That belongs to them, not to us. But for the rest of our business, I think that there are a few things that we see that are interesting here. And and understand, we use the data more for our purposes than, than trying to inform the entire market. We use the data to look at things like, where do we go next? Okay. Where's that unserved market? But the other part of it is we look at it from an unmet need standpoint. What is that wine lover, that wine consumer, the wine collector asking us for that we're not offering today? Beyond that, as we think about demographic data, there's probably more. The traditional view is that wine collecting is largely a male hobby. We're seeing that change, all right? And we're seeing more and more interest by women in in the collecting side, which we think is awesome. And we're seeing that there was some talk about when the when the baby boomers stopped buying wine, what was going to happen? Well, we see the next generations also loving fine wine and see them, frankly, collecting with more energy and vigor than some of the, the boomers did. So other wine businesses are, are using wine storage as a part of a connected ecosystem. We interviewed Vinfolio in episode 75, where you can trade wines in storage. Other companies are using it as a customer retention tool, like Underground Sellers in episode 83, to get people to buy more wine. Do these approaches commoditize the value of wine storage, or do you think it's undermining like the actual value that someone focused on wine storage alone is doing? You know, it makes sense from their standpoint to offer those services. And I think that some of them have found over time that if they do it for free, people will take advantage of them. So they've gone back in and said, okay, it's free for X amount of time, and then you, then you pay. Otherwise, they have to build big warehouses just to store people's wine. I think that as a wine collector, and we come at this from the wine collector viewpoint, okay, so I I buy some wine from company X, and I got two or three cases stored there, but that's not the only place I buy wine. As a collector, I buy from 10, 20, 30 different people. Now, look, if I'm all about Italian imports, right, I may have my go-to guy and my secondary, but that's about it. For most consumers, they're buying a lot of different places. And so the concept of I've got two cases stored with these folks and three with those people, and I've only got six bottles over here, it becomes complicated over time. And they'd rather have their primary holdings all together in one place, typically closer to them as well, because you get that crazy idea of, hey, let's do a vertical this weekend of this wine when we have our friends over for dinner. Well, where's all the wine? If you've got it close by, it's a lot easier than having to get it all brought into you, shipped into you. So what do you think the wine storage world looks like five years from now? 
So I think wine storage is still in the growth mode. I think that it's a service that a lot of people weren't aware of five, 10 years ago, that it's, it's been, you know, it's been out there for, gosh, 20 years maybe, but it's been slow growth, slow growth in terms of awareness and the number of people offering the service. But I think it stays in high growth mode. And I think that you're going to continue five years from now to see those, the people who have the one location lifestyle businesses. But I think you're going to see a company or two that try to take a, a more holistic approach and have economies of scale by having several storage locations and or offering other services with it. What about the wine delivery side? What does that look like going forward? I think the refrigerated wine delivery side is an exciting, has an exciting future for us. If you think about it today, we've all been conditioned or trained that there's only two times a year that you can safely ship wine, which is in the springtime and in the fall. And you have to do it then so that you don't have as much temperature variation across the country. And so everyone is trying to ship at exactly the same time. Going forward, if you use a refrigerated process, I can tell you the weather in every part of the country, 52 weeks out of the year, it's right around 55 degrees in our vehicles. So if it's August and you want to go to Phoenix with wine, no problem. We do it. So the benefit to a winery in that situation is today, they try to push out so many packages all at the same time. They end up with a lot of them having their release dates and their email to the consumer go out at the same time. And it becomes this huge volume of work and their risk is they don't get noticed as much because that wine collector received 10 other notices for the same day that the allocation release goes live. This is their chance to stand out more, to do more differentiated marketing, to hit smaller parts of the market at one time. And suddenly you can do things that are more focused to other parts of the year. If you have rosé, you know, that can be tied more easily into warmer times of the year. If you wanted to do a special library release, it could happen in August and it gets lots of attention from the consumer. So I look at refrigerated wine delivery as a great way to liberate the wineries from having to do everything at one time and hope the weather is good all the way across the country. So we like to wrap up each episode on a personal note. And if you could let me and Peter know, what was the most memorable wine that you've had over the last year and who did you drink it with? I'm going to tell you that who I drank it with made it even more memorable. So between having a business that's growing and two small kids that are growing and take up a lot of time, my wife and I went to another city for a wedding. We had a chance to have dinner, just the two of us. And have a nice dinner. And by the way, that was amazing, which when you have small kids is, you know, doesn't happen as often. So with the dinner, we shared a bottle of 08 uh, La Chano Brion. The wine was beautiful, incredible, etc. The setting, who I drank it with, made it awesome. Great. Nice. Well, thank you for sharing. We appreciate it. And thank you for sharing so many insights on the wine storage business as well as the delivery business. And that's an interesting angle to this look that we're doing for this section of the market. It's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Don't forget to support the show at xchateau.com or patreon.com slash xchateau. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.